Amen. Well, happy Sunday after Easter. When it's Easter all the time for Christians, I want to tell you uh, that our new series today uh, I'm excited about. If you don't like it, uh, as we move forward to the next few weeks, you can blame the staff of the church and not me because they picked all the passages that we're going to look at over these next six or eight weeks. Uh, in the Bible, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, the gospel specifically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Jesus uh, shares about 50 commands. And we're going to look at a few of those over the next few weeks. And uh, your staff here at First Baptist Friendswood uh, picked uh, those all but one. So I'm not going to tell you which one uh, I picked. Uh, because then you get, you know, mad at me like usual. Uh, but before we dive in uh, to this new series, Not Your TV Dad, many of you have seen these new progressive commercials where the dad from Family Matters uh, says everything that the parent says, and yet the adult or teenage child listens to TV Dad. And, and we need to listen to Jesus because he does uh, know best. But before we dive into that, I, I want to share with you uh, a little update. Uh, many of you know that over the last uh, couple of years, we've been walking through something called the missional pathway, where we've looked at sort of our own personal spiritual journey and how we as individuals uh, can make a difference uh, in the world around us, in our workplace, in our school, in our neighborhood, uh, how we can do that as individuals, uh, the, the impact that we can have uh, as individuals on our community. But earlier this spring, or winter I guess technically, uh, we gathered together and looked at how our church can invest uh, in our community at large? How can we as the body of believers, us all come together and focus our attention on one area of our community that we can bring blessing, that we can bring hope, that we can bring light to that situation? And, and so as a result of those meetings, uh, four kind of rose to the top. And so over the next few months, we're going to do some more research, some investigation, those kind of things into these four areas, and then come back with one that we believe is the one that we want to pursue for the next uh, year uh, to three years. And so I want to share those with you so you can be praying uh, about these ministry opportunities. The first one uh, is ministry to first responders. That's uh, police and fire, um, EMT folks. So how we might be able to bless, encourage, and minister uh, to those in our community uh, that are first responders. The second uh, is actually a, a location, uh, a neighborhood, uh, the trailer park, 68 trailer park homes, uh, just on the other side of Heritage. Uh, and that's an, an area that we, several in our group, believe is an area that we might be able to, to partner with and encourage and bless. And so that's one of the areas that we're going to be looking into. How can we do that if that's an open door for us? Uh, the third area uh, is uh, our elementary schools. Uh, many of you know already that we have uh, mentors that work at Landolt Elementary uh, there on El Dorado. Uh, and then we also participate in Club One, which is an after-school gospel-centered program uh, at Westwood, and we also do this, a similar program uh, at the junior high in Friendswood. And so how can we invest in schools uh, in our area uh, and minister to teachers and students and families in those ways? And then the, the final one is actually a partnership with the city of Friendswood uh, related to recreation uh, and outreach and, and using Stevenson Park, Centennial, and those. how can we make an investment uh, in those areas? How can we partner with the city uh, to bless 
uh, the residents of our community. So those four things, uh, first responders, uh, the trailer park on Heritage, Heritage Drive, uh, elementary schools, and of course, uh, I just call it partnership with the city. Uh, if you can be praying about those, we're going to be doing some research and study, but just want to keep you uh, informed of what we're doing and have you pray, God, how would our church best bring the light of Jesus uh, to the places around us? Uh, what a privilege it is to do that. It, it's a blessing to do that. And so uh, be praying about that as we move forward. I want to invite you uh, to turn to Matthew chapter 5 uh, today. Uh, if you've been around church a long time, uh, Matthew 5 to 7, Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7 is perhaps the most famous sermon ever uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. And the beginning of that uh, is the Beatitudes, the blessed statements uh, that you're blessed if you are, live these certain ways or, or have these characters, characteristic traits uh, of who you are. With the tail end of that, it actually comes to the first command that we're going to look at of Jesus, uh, the first of these 50. And so I figure today, uh, the Sunday after Easter, let's start with the hard one that probably none of us actually experience on a daily basis. Sound like a good plan? And then they'll just get easier from here, but not really, uh, because the rest you probably actually do deal with on a regular basis. But today we're going to look at the one that for us in suburban, suburban Houston might find it hard to fully identify with. Uh, but Jesus calls us uh, to rejoice nonetheless. So Matthew 5, look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Here's the command, two commands. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. I want to encourage you today. We, we didn't experience persecution today, but in the middle of the sermon in the first hour, uh, this projector right here made a loud engine noise, and now we have this. Randy mentioned it earlier, but this is why on occasion we say, hey, thank you for your faithfulness in giving because it matters. Because those things cost somewhere between 9 and 12 thousand dollars. So your faithfulness in giving helps us not have to come to you every time something breaks. So that's a public service announcement today as an aside that we can rejoice and be glad uh, in the faithfulness uh, of the people of God. So uh, again, it'll be a while. So when you come the next few weeks, we'll all get to look on the right uh, more than likely. So uh, as we think about rejoicing and being glad, uh, Jesus is talking here about a certain group of people who are experiencing or who will experience great difficulty. Now, the truth is most of us, even though we might complain about how someone didn't say something nice to us, most of us are not enduring persecution for our faith on a regular basis. Last year, 2022, the known deaths around the world for faith, faith in Jesus, 
totaled 5,621. So organizations that track these things know that 5,621 people died for their faith in Jesus last year. And more than 360 million people today suffer persecution. When I mean today, I mean April 16th, 2023. Today, more than 360 million people across the world experience persecution for their faith. The few hundred of us in this room are not a part of that number. But there are dozens and dozens of countries where this would be impossible. North Korea, Somalia, and Yemen are the top three. If you lived in one of those countries and you proclaimed faith in Jesus... Uh, based on how these organizations use their metrics, there would be a, somewhere between an 85 and 99% chance that on a daily basis, you might experience physical harm to your body because of your faith. There would be violence against you for your faith, an 85 to 99% chance. Yay, let's move to the Middle East or North Africa. And most of that persecution that occurs around our world is in that very zone. We call it the 1040 window. It's Western Africa through North Africa, the Middle East, and moving all the way to North Korea, that region. China, of course, is in there, all of that. That's where the bulk of that 360 million experience persecution. And so it's hard for us in suburbia Houston in Texas where we have you know four churches within you know a quarter mile of this place it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this idea of persecution because this is not about a Yankees fan or I guess this weekend a Rangers fan at the Astros game that that's not what we're talking about it's not I'm wearing the wrong colors at the football game or the baseball game It's not even about someone making fun of you because you talk strange because you're from Texas. Or if you're not from here, we make fun of you. It's not even that you get ridiculed for a political belief or or something you hold or information you don't know. That's not what Jesus is referring to. This is not even someone disagreeing with you because you believe the Bible and they don't. That's not what this passage is about at all. This passage is about one very specific thing and the impact it has on your life and the, not just your life today, your life for eternity and those around you. And that word, that idea is your righteousness. Your righteousness. Because persecution existed in the first century, it existed before the first century. Jesus says it. The prophets experienced it. These followers of Jesus are about to experience it. And persecution hasn't stopped from this time until today. But there's something unique about those who stand in righteousness and who experience persecution. There's something unique about them that they get to experience a kingdom honor, a kingdom blessing 
that is unique and special. But I want to remind us today that if, if, because all of us want to be blessed, all of us want blessing, all of us want good stuff to happen to us. We, we want people to be gracious and kind to us. A lot of times on my salutation in an email or, a, or, or something where I'm writing, I'll put blessings because I, I want your life to be good and I, I want th- great things to happen to you. But we have to remember that blessing and kingdom honor is not some sort of compensation for an unfair life. Like Just because life isn't great to me doesn't mean somehow God's going to bless me even more. That's not how it works. That's not even what this passage is about. Jesus isn't providing some blanket statement that anyone who has endured anything unfair or wrong or terrible is going to get some kind of special treatment, some kind of blessing. No. Because persecution, the way Jesus is writing it here, this word persecution gets used four times just in this chapter, in chapter 5. What Jesus is meaning by this is actually the idea of putting someone aside. Like you put them to the side, you cast them out, you shove them in the corner, you move them out of the way. You run after them with evil intent. Have you ever run after anyone with evil intent? You have a younger sibling? You have done that. Right? You've done that. You've run after someone with evil intent. That's the idea of persecution. You're running after someone. You're following them so that you might do harm to them, verbally or physically. Persecution is also about inflicting suffering because you hold a belief that is against the establishment. So whatever those who are in charge believe, if you believe differently, could be suffering. And so when Jesus speaks to persecution here, those are the kinds of things he's speaking to. And all of those things are linked to our righteousness. Our righteousness. How closely is my life connected to the holiness of God? That's what righteousness means. That's what it is, a right standing before God. And so how closely is my life, how closely does my life resemble the holiness, the majesty, the purity, the love, the grace, the truth of God? How closely does it do that? And in those moments when I'm standing on that, in, in that position, what happens? That's what Jesus is getting at here. Because the blessing, the the kingdom honor, the kingdom blessing comes to those who are pursuing righteousness. Like I, I want to pursue a holy, honorable relationship with God. Because Jesus is speaking to people who are committed to God's cause. They are committed to Jesus Christ. They've they've put their trust in him. They believe that he is the one who is going, right? We know this, sacrifice his life for them. And verse 10 makes kind of the general statement, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs, these people out there. Who are those people out there? They're going to get this. But then verse 11, he brings it a little closer to home. And he takes it from those out there to you, 
Blessed are you. He changes the grammar. It's from third person now to second person. Blessed are you when you experience, when you live in righteousness and you experience persecution for my name's sake. Undergoing the persecution is part of the blessing. And Jesus assumes that it's going to happen. Because he says there in verse 11, when, when others revile you, when you stand for the truth, he assumes you're going to do it. If you claim the name of Jesus, you're going to stand for righteousness. You're going to stand for truth. You're going to stand for the things that are good and right. When you stand for your faith in Jesus, be ready because people are going to tell lies about you. That's what it says. They're going to tell lies about you. They're going to revile you. They're going to spread all kinds of falsehood about you. Most of you know I'm a pastor. And occasionally, people say mean things to me and about me. Occasionally. I know that never happens to any of you. Everyone loves you perfectly. Because you don't stand up here week to week. That's why they love you. But when I think about that, and I think about when we stand in truth, what actually happens? There are people who don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to experience the love of God. They, they don't want to really embrace the power of the resurrection. And so they may come against you. And he says you need to be ready because Jesus is counting on you. He's counting on you to stand for truth. He's counting on you to stand for his righteousness. And when that happens, you'll experience blessing. Because I know there are times when because of your faith, perhaps someone has spoken against you. Maybe you've done the right thing and others have stabbed you in the back for it. Or maybe they've spread something untrue about who you are. I pray you have not been physically harmed for your faith. But as I, I read this and I think about this passage, I, I think about the blessing, because he says it both in 10 and 11, blessed and blessed. Well, most of us understand, like we, we get the idea of blessing. We even think, we even get the idea of eternal blessing. That if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if I put my faith in Christ, then I have a forever home in heaven where there's, it's just perfection. We can't describe it. We can't understand it. We don't know it, but we know it's going to be perfect. So we understand that blessing. But most of us, if we're honest, I need a little blessing today. I need a little goodness today. I need someone to be nice to me today. The struggle is Jesus offers none of that. Because if you look closely at the passage, he says your reward will be great, but there's a location attached to that reward. The location is heaven. The location isn't third period math. The location isn't your living room. The location isn't your workplace. 
Location isn't your car after you've been in an accident. There's a location for our blessing, and most of us have a difficult time wrapping our minds around that because we want blessing here and now. We want to experience the tangible nature of blessing. And Jesus says, when you and I stand in righteousness, we have a great reward. There's great blessing coming, but that reward is in heaven. And so he gives us two commands to be ready for that, to, to embrace that. He says, rejoice and be glad. That's the command Jesus knows best. Rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted. We looked a few weeks ago about counted all joy. And so what, is, what are we to do? We're to rejoice when our righteousness that is immovable, like the righteousness of God is immovable, when our righteousness is unshakable, we need to expect that it's going to be met with resistance. And maybe from some of the people who are closest to you, maybe from those that also claim the name of Christ, and they say, you know what, you're being a little too holy. You're being a little too much like Jesus. That's the greatest compliment you could ever get. And so you stand firm. Stand firm in the righteousness of Christ because your heavenly reward is beyond anything you could receive here. Because I think about it. Most of us are going to live somewhere between 70 and 90 years. And if I don't get much blessing here, much reward here, it's okay. Because I have hundreds of thousands of years to get blessing. Eternity to get blessing. 70 to 90 years is a blip in the radar. It's a mist. I think someone shared that a few weeks ago. It's a mist. And so I want to look forward to the eternal word. So I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to, with, I'm going to endure any difficulty that might come my way, particularly difficulty surrounding my faith. Because I try to think back. Have I ever been persecuted for my faith? And, and, and truthfully, I, I can't think of it. Uh, again, you know, people say mean things all the time, and you've experienced that from the time you were a kid through adulthood. But there's one time in my life I think maybe that's probably the closest I came to what I would consider persecution. I was 22 years old. Some, some of you might even now think that I have a little bit of a baby face because uh, I get accused of not being as old as I am. I'm really old. Um, not really, but. but when I was 22, many people thought I was uh, a freshman in high school, or maybe younger. And so when I was, a, when I was 22, I just graduated from college, I was heading to graduate school, um, and so in the between time, I substitute taught at a local high school up on the north side of town in spring. And I got the greatest gig that any substitute teacher could ever get, get. I was a long-term sub in PE. It was the greatest job in the world. And in the, in the early 90s, I made $80 a day. That is big money. It's big money today, right, for, for substitute teaching. Big money. And, and so uh, I, I worked four class periods a day because the coach I took over for had a Two athletics, athletic periods plus an off period. I didn't have to do any of that. So four periods a day I worked. Man, it was the life. 
I was living at home, driving the economy car. I had money galore. That's not true today. So, so in, the, in this scenario here, I'm teaching PE. Now, I, I, all people have gifts and skills and talents. But if you're in high school PE, more than likely, you're not participating in a sport. And back then, you had to take PE uh, no matter what. And so most of these students were not overly thrilled about physical education. It's as gracious and kind as I can say it. And there was this one young man, and students, you all know this kid. He was arrogant. He thought he knew everything. He thought he was the coolest kid in the world, but he didn't play sports. Thank you. <laughs> one person got that joke. <laughs> he, he was a punk. And again, that's the nice way for me to say it. And so one day, actually several days leading up, he just would never listen. He just wouldn't obey. And remember, I'm 22 and I look 16. I even get questioned in the hallway by other teachers. Can I, what, what are you doing in the hallway? And I have to show them my ID. It's terrible. I had more hair then, so it really mattered. But this kid would never obey, never obey. And one day, everyone was kind of moving out, and they were already kind of out, and he's lagging behind. And I said, hey, get moving. Every day it's the same thing. Get moving. Get out there. And his response was, what are you going to do to me, choir boy? Because he knew that I was involved in church because a number of the students that went to my church were there at that school and I uh, volunteered in the student ministry. And I didn't do what I wanted to do as a 22-year-old who wanted to prove myself, but I didn't. But that's the closest I believe I've, become, I've come to any kind of persecution. Some kid called me choir boy and if he knew me, he would know choir boy was the wrong moniker. Because not once have I ever been up here at the front half of our service helping to sing. Never once. But I wonder, as you and I think about our righteousness, about your righteousness, what do people say about you? And when they use your faith against you, do you rejoice? Do you have joy again? That's what rejoice means, have joy again. Or do you get frustrated and defeated? Are you discouraged when people don't want to pay attention to you? Or perhaps worse is that maybe your faith isn't as bright as it should be and no one's paying attention to you. Perhaps that's the worst position to be in. That they don't know of your righteousness because of your speech, because of your behavior. But Jesus is calling us here in this moment to rejoice and be glad, 
to, to rejoice when our righteousness is met with resistance, uh, to be glad when you and I can identify with the suffering of Jesus. That in some even small or big way that, that we can identify with the suffering of Jesus. We need to be glad in that. When, when, when it's difficult, when, when people speak out against us for our faith, we should be glad in that. That I'm, I'm in some small way identifying with the magnificent suffering of Jesus. The cruelty that he endured for my sake. In some tiny, tiny, tiny way, I'm experiencing that. And so I'm not going to brag about it. I'm not going to say, oh, look what I had to endure. No. I'm going to submit myself all the more to him. Because I know that Jesus lived perfectly for one reason. So that he might die for you and me. So that he might suffer for our sake, that he might pay the penalty of my sin and your sin. And so he is our model. He is the one we follow after. He is the one that knows best. And so if he's going to say to me, rejoice and be glad when you suffer for righteousness sake, then that's what I'm going to do. Because I know that any other Message is the wrong message because there's a whole lot of churches in our country today that talk all about blessing. But it has little or nothing to do with suffering for righteousness sake. And yet that's the message of Jesus Christ. To stand firm in our faith. To experience a life of joy that's identified with him. To have confidence in our faith. That no matter what we endure here, our reward is great. And so we can stand together. We we can draw together and say, you know what, God? I'm good because you're good. No matter what the situation is, no matter how much I have to endure, I'm rejoicing because you're with me. You're with me. And so today, as we wrap up, I want to pray for us. And our response time is going to be a little different today. I, I want to invite you as we close to, to think about what it means to stand in righteousness.